0: I guarantee there'll be women lives affected by men being in prison. I mean, there'll be children that are missing out on dads. There'll be wives missing out on husbands. So it doesn't just affect the man in jail. It affects the women that are are, a part of that, uh, that man's life as well. So by helping men, we help society as a whole, and we definitely help women.
1: Hi, I'm Naomi Murphy, and this is the Locked Up Living podcast, where we talk with a wide range of people about harsh aspects of institutional life.
2: We also explore some of the ways to overcome them and to grow and develop. I'm David Jones. So join us every Wednesday morning, six o'clock UK time for a fresh podcast.
1: So really delighted to welcome along today's guest who's Nick Fletcher, the Conservative MP for Don Valley, where he's represented um, Don Valley constituents since 2019. We were particularly interested in having Nick on the podcast to discuss his work as chair of the All-Party Parliamentary Working Group for issues concerning men and boys, since men and boys are overrepresented in the criminal justice system, which we talk about a lot on this podcast. Welcome along today, Nick.
0: Thank you. Nice
2: to meet you. Thank you for having me. Hi Nick, thanks very much for coming along, it's really good to uh, meet with you. Um, I'm going to ask the first few questions which are mainly about sort of process, Mm -hmm. really, Um, because we're interested in process. One of the things that got us started on this podcast business was that we wanted to think with people about ways to achieve positive change, um, about the mechanics of that, about the techniques that may facilitate Mm -hmm. it and things like that where well, you're obviously central to the nation's process mm. regarding these these issues so thanks very much for being here what is the history of the men's and boys working group Te- can you tell us something about it and how did you come to be involved in it
0: well i wasn't a uh, part of it right at the beginning i think i joined just a just a little later uh, it started relatively early in uh, in my time becoming a member of parliament I believe it was a chap called uh, Chris Bradley who um, spoke with a gentleman called Mike Bell (coughs) who runs a men's issues website uh, called EquiLaw and they asked a chap that they knew called Mark Brooks who runs Mankind Initiative uh, and I think basically they all come together and thought it would be a good idea if Parliament had an all-party parliamentary group for issues affecting men and boys Uh, and I was... uh, a a member of a member of the group, but um, as um, as time progressed, I was becoming more and more interested in, in, in this issue, and uh, well, I'm sure we'll speak later about about that. But uh, yeah, that's how it actually that's how it actually started. So it is thanks to the, the three chaps that I've just uh, just mentioned there. And
2: really. uh, when was that, roughly speaking? I believe it was the um,
0: beginning of 2020. Uh, I was elected uh, in December 2019, and uh, so it would have been early 2020, I believe.
2: Right, thanks very much. So, quite late on in the day, uh, really. Uh, that's, mm-hmm. that's interesting by itself, isn't it? I mean, one of the people we've spoken to quite recently has done some research at Aylesbury Prison on that uh, transition from uh, a young offenders institute into a, a sort of uh, male man's prison it's a terribly kind of interesting and rather mm. neglected uh, area so who decides on the membership of the the, the the groups because this one doesn't seem to be particularly all party well this.
0: In all fairness, we've we've got. I've actually got the the latest numbers here, uh, and it's nineteen Conservative members, seven Labour members, four Independents, um, and three from uh, other parties, and three crossbench benches. So, I don't think it's it's not it's not too far off the ratios of what we've uh, of what we've got in Parliament. And we we have twenty one men and, and fifteen women members too, which is which same again. I'm really quite. Quite quite pleased. About. I think that's the one thing that we do tend to forget when we're talking about men's issues is that I mean one of the main reasons why I want to get involved in men's issues is because it does have such an effect on women, uh, just like women's issues have an e- have an effect on men, and I, I do think we tend to silo these things. And so it's fantastic that we have got 15, 15 women members in there too, um, because we, and as it, as in the title, all party, we we need people from both sides of the house to, to, bring, to bring their experiences to groups like this. Um, obviously in the house when you see it it's, it's definitely um, us and them and uh, the Prime Minister's questions is a perfect example of that but when you move away from the chamber there is an awful lot of um, collegiate work that goes on and uh, I've got, I, I do have some good friends that uh, are in other parties too. But uh, back to your question. Sorry, I do seem to have gone off that. We write to every MP um, and ask them if they would like to be like to be members. And obviously, those um, those that do uh, do do come along. There is, I think, there's in excess of 700 all-party parliamentary groups, and you, I do believe you can end up joining too many. Um, I'm on, I'm the chairman of only one, and this is because this is where I want my uh, my main efforts as as part of. Um, that work as an MP need to need to be. I'm a member of, I think, eight or nine APPGs, but I'm the chairman of only of only one. Um, and I think I think that's. In, I think that's, I'd love to be a member of lots more because there's so many uh, subjects interest in me. Like I'm sure you've you've got so many interests uh, that uh, that you'd like to pursue. But I think to make any real progress and to see any real change, you do have to um, hone in on and on. Um, a few a few a few issues but not uh, not too many
2: yeah i can see that so there there can be a tendency to assume that all men are automatically more privileged than all women Naomi wrote these uh, questions i'll uh, just uh, point out because i always think you know, particularly when i used to take my car to the garage that women were more privileged than men i used to hate going to the garage but of course i think you're an engineer by background aren't you um yes i'm a electrical so,
0: contractor
2: yeah so you probably didn't have that experience uh, at all but do you think there are areas of life where men are more disadvantaged
0: i think i've never really seen myself as disadvantaged i mean a lot of people say that i come from a a disadvantaged part of the country and um, a, a working class background, but I never really saw it as a disadvantage. I didn't particularly know know any, anything different. And I think I think it's an attitude that um, that gets you where you want not want to be. But I mean, I, obviously, we all know um, that there's, women have suffered at the, at the hands of at the hands of uh, men for for many many years. I mean just going back to actually getting a vote and uh, just being treated equally in the in the workplace same equal pay and things like that so there's been a huge issue there uh, and i think it's extremely important that those issues were were dealt with i believe in um, trying we all want a fair society i don't think society and life's fair but we should always try and get to that point but i think we've definitely taken his eye off the ball while we've been trying to make amends um, for the, you know, for the for the centuries of things that have that have probably gone gone the wrong way, well, have definitely gone the wrong way. But by by trying to correct those, I think sometimes we overcorrect things. I think that's I think we can do that in all walks of life, uh, not just between uh, male and female, just be, between lo- lots of different things. We tend to overcorrect, but I also do think we tend to forget people as well when we when we concentrate on one demographic we do tend to forget the other demographic and the unfortunate thing is is that the statistics prove that men are men are really really struggling i mean 95% of the prison population is male that can't be right now does that mean i want 50% of women in, in of course it doesn't but it, we we're looking at something there which is try and i would imagine many of those men that have committed those crimes there may have been uh, crimes uh, against women or there will have been I, I guarantee there will be women lives affected by men being in prison. I mean there will be children that are missing out on dads there will be wives missing out on husbands so it doesn't just affect the, the man in jail it affects the women that are a part of that, uh, that man's life as well so by helping men we help society as a whole and we definitely help women. I mean it's it's just it's just a given that that, that will happen. We will help women, which is a, a wonderful thing to, to to do. So I think I do think we do overcorrect and I do think there has been neglect in, in, in men's lives. I mean the those statistics that we've got, seventy five percent of the suicides are men. Which is again is terrible. I mean the age gap I mean women tend to, tend to live, I think the average age uh, of a lady is 81, with men it's around 77. Why is that? I mean it's fantastic that we're getting to these ages now. These ages weren't even dreamed of 60 years ago for anybody, but why is that happening? And so we need to, we need to look into this and that's, that's all I'm ever asking to do as the, as the chair of the APPG. I'm a men's minister and all these other things that I've been asking for since I became a member parliament is let's look into it find out why and that's what I believe we need to do
1: I think it's really interesting to, to notice those dispari- disparities but I wonder do you think we run the risk of, of not seeing some other nuances by gendering um, disadvantage for instance class might be a confounding variable there in terms of um, age of that might be adding something else else in um to the picture. Yeah, I, th- I
0: mean, yeah, I, this is just—it's not a single issue. I don't think any any are, um, but I definitely think it's a, a huge issue, and uh, it affects 50% of the population or thereabouts. I mean, it is—I I am the chairman of, a, of an all-party parliamentary group that covers 50% of the population. This is a huge amount of people that we're talking about here. Now, I'm not saying we should ever forget any, any of the minority, the smaller issues, where it might be 1% of the population, or even 0.1% of the population. But we've got a huge issue there. We've all got men in our lives. And yet, it, it's harder for people who come from a, um, a tougher background, where I would imagine economic makes an awful lot of difference. It does, it's bound to. Right. I didn't come from a wealthy background myself, and I've still managed to make a Member of Parliament now it almost sounds a little boastful that and I don't want it to be, I'm just setting it up as an example that the, the economics of my background didn't deter me from becoming a member of parliament, which I think is a wonderful thing for society. I always say to the kids in my school, look if, if I can do it and I went to the same school as you, I can do it and you can do it. We just need to set those goals and work really hard. and um, let's not have let's not have excuses i think disadvantage i don't think we should be using that as a stumbling block i think with the right attitude the correct mentors the right role models um and a and a society that thinks tries to think about everybody and doesn't leave anybody behind then we can do some wonderful things
2: thank you nick that's a very uh, honest and helpful uh, answer I'm beginning to think that I know the answer to my next question already. um, Because I was going to ask if you thought it was helpful to to, to sort of split up parliamentary business on the basis of sex and gender. Or is it just necessary? Because that's the way things are.
0: Yeah, I think it is. uh... I mean, we, we do. There's 20 parliamentary, all-party parliamentary groups for um, for women's issues, or there's around 20, and I think we have around three, three for men, men's issues. So although men are, um, there's more men in parliament um, than, than women, and that is something that we, we we're all conscious that we we need to encourage women in in into parliament. Um, it, it, sex is. It, it's something that the world. Um, we we all know the differences between between men and men and women, and there are different issues between men and women. So, uh, I mean, if everything's inclusive, then that's fine. But I don't necessarily think that it is. So this is why we need we need this group. We need somebody speaking up, speaking up for men. And uh, I'm quite happy to take take that role take that role on because um, like I said at the beginning I think if, if we can look after men then we will automatically make life a better place for women
2: good and do you think you're influential in that task uh,
0: Two years in um, <laughs> yeah I, I think I, I think I'm get, I think I'm getting there it's. Um, it's quite it's quite a job being a member of Parliament, and it's it's quite a responsibility being a chair of an all-party parliamentary group as well. And it's not something that I I take lightly. But um, yeah, I think I have got an, an influence, and that can be good and bad. So this is why I try and I try and think carefully about what I say. I try and be respectful of everyone around me, and I try and think how it looks from from both sexes as well, because I don't want to come across. I think a lot of people might think that when you stand up for men then you are you're automatically against against women and i think that's a an immature thing to think but i'm careful that that i hope it doesn't come across like that i am genuinely doing it because i think if we look after men we'll get a better society for all and i've got a daughter i've got a wife i want i want them looked after too and i think it's i think it's really really important mm.
2: thanks that's a really good way of putting it i think how do you decide what kind of issues you're going to focus
0: on? I mean, the we asked the we asked the, all the parliamentary group, the APPG. I'll say that, it's much easier. We said the APPG. Uh, we asked that we, we, we email them the issues that men are facing, uh, the ones that are, are seen every day, and we said, which ones do you want to which ones do you want to choose to pick? So the next subject that we're taking speakers on is is men's suicide. I mean, the first one was a boy today, um, the second one was a, a men's health strategy, and the next one is suicide, suicide in men, so, but I mean, there's, a, there's an array of subjects. But I'm quite conscious that we don't just try and tick off all the boxes and say we've done a report on that, we've done a report on that. We really do need to see some actual, actual change, otherwise it's just another report that sits on somebody's desk or sits in somebody's inbox. So I'm conscious that the men's health strategy that I keep on lobbying for that continually because what's the point in having a report sat on my desk? I mean, it's it's nice to it's nice to email a report out and it's lovely for people to email back and say that's a really good read, Nick. Well done. But if that's all it that's all it achieves, it, you you really may as well have not bothered at all. So we need to we need to follow this through and. I, mean, I asked in Parliament PMQs the other week about a men's minister and a men's health strategy. I've had meetings with um, Health Secretary Sajid Javid about it. I've spoke to Health Minister Ed Arger. I've spoke to Health Minister uh, Maria Caulfield. I'm continually at this and I think that's what... I think that's what we should do as MPs. But I think that's what the public should do too. I do sometimes think that the public think that um, you know, I mean, if you write to your MP then then that sh- one letter should solve it and it's, it's, not, it's not like that, it's not like that being an MP and it's not like that as an individual, if, if you really want to achieve something you've got to keep on at it and it can take years and I think we have to be realistic with these things, it can take five years, ten years, it can take thirty years for things to change but you've got to keep on and while ever I'm in this position then I will continue asking for a men's health strategy and a men's minister until, A, I see something change. So we see some of these statistics drop massively. So all of a sudden we see a massive reduction in men's suicide. Well, then fantastic. And if we see a massive reduction in prostate cancer, we see a huge reduction in the men that are struggling with alcohol and obesity and a huge reduction in mental health issues, Then then we'll stop. There'll be no need for it. But while ever there's a need for it, then it's my job to keep on doing it while I'm in this position. And I hope to be in this position for a long time, but we'll, never, we'll
2: let the electorate decide that. Yeah, thanks Nick. Uh, that, that point about persistence is something that Naomi and I talk about a lot because it's always cropping up in the conversations that we're having with people, mm-hmm. that if you want something, you really have to work persistently at getting it. Mm-hmm picking up just something that you said a moment ago um when you when you said that you'd say APPG because it's easier to say it's also much easier to say than supporting male victims of crime considered violence against women and girls report how did you come up with that title
0: i didn't the (laughs) APPG didn't and uh we wrote to the minister about it uh um, with the with the immediate effect so um no it definitely I mean I, it's not. well I mean it's just ridiculous isn't it I mean it, it just I'm sorry it is there's no other way to put it I mean i'm I'm very supportive of, of, of many of my colleagues and I will continue to be supportive of them but sometimes you just got to call things out for what they are and unfortunately that's a that's not a, a good title and the document's not. what what it should be either. So, you see when you try and incorporate you asked earlier about should we we be splitting topics up by sex. Well, um, if we're only going to be an afterthought in a document that is um, there for for women um, and we're just going to be an appendix or something, then I'm sorry, then that's what we need to stand up and say no, this is not right. And I do truly believe, and I've said this already to you, we've had, um, I don't think we can police our way out of um, violence against women and girls. And I don't think we can um, put enough people in prisons to violence against women and girls. I think we need to get to the core problem. Why is it happening? And it is majority men I know it happens. I know some men are obviously struggling a lot. There's violence at home to men, I understand that. But the majority of violence against women and girls is caused by men. So we need a minister to men to find out why that is happening. So let's stop that from happening. And one way we stop that from happening is looking at all the issues that are going on in men's lives. All the issues, not a silo working, not looking at each individual problem, look at it overall. An overarching strategy, uh, and I believe we need a minister, or at least an ambassador or a Czar to look at look at that as a whole, take an holistic view of it and find out what is going wrong because something obviously is. And I think if we do that, then we can really make a difference for, for, um, for the lives of women and girls.
1: Well, I think there are some interesting stats as well, though, Nick. So until the 1960s, men and women were killed at roughly even rates. So 50% mm. of of murder victims were female and 50% were male. But now 75% of all victims are male. Mm. And I think what we see a lot of is discussion about women not being safe on the street, which is a woman, because there's a lot of coverage of that, mm. most, most women I know would... Uh, or you know, if they, so long as they could, they'd avoid walking home late mm. at night on their own, and yet actually, not only are men killed at much higher rates, but also men are much more likely to be killed on the street. So only eleven mm. most women are killed by someone they know within mm. their home or someone else's home, whereas thirty eight percent of men are killed on the street as opposed to eleven percent mm. of of women. So I think sometimes these. Policies actually might have a paradoxical effect if we're, we're really concerned about, about women, but obviously anyone being killed is, is a problem, but the proportion of women that have been killed has gone down as opposed to up. Yeah. Um, and men are obviously taking but up more than that we're, whether,
0: we're, whether we're trying to help men and reduce the amount of women that they kill or we're trying to help men to reduce the men they, they, they kill... We're, we've still got the same problem. We've still got men out there who are doing something that they shouldn't be. So that's what we need to do. So granted, yeah, we help women, like I said. But granted, just exa- exactly what you've said, we help men too. It's I think it was 168 women or something last year. 416 men that that were murdered. I think I, I've not got the figures in front of me. So please don't don't quote me exact on that. But yeah, you're right but the common denominator is the man that's actually doing the crime and that's who we need to... Why is that happening? We need to go back and say, why is that happening?
1: So so I wonder whether the strategy would have been better framed as a strategy to address male violence rather than a strategy that's to um, reduce violence against women, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I understand what you... I mean...
1: Because you might actually end up with different solutions yeah. looking at it from I'll, from that the, angle, yeah. as opposed to looking at it from the yeah, other I, angle. I, I,
0: I, yeah, I can I can take your point. I can take your point there. We want as many solutions as we can, really, don't we? I mean, we want to look at it from as many angles as we can. But yeah, I do I do take your point. But getting back to the original question, it's 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 not it's not right that that report was labelled like it was, and it's not right that it wasn't a full in-depth report and the outcomes of a report like that are always going to be weak I'm afraid not going to achieve what they want to achieve
1: thank you we've both spent many years working within the criminal justice system which obviously as you've referred to um, is disproportionately um, men that come within that remit and it's really good to hear you talking about having a broader vision of understanding what the causes of crime are one of the things that's very striking is the difference in how male and female prisoners are commonly discussed. So it's commonly acknowledged that female prisoners have a history of child abuse and trauma. And yet that's spoken about much less in relation to men, although our experience is that that is very much men's history too. What what needs to happen to help policymakers realise this?
0: I think... Um... I think people like yourself and I can do an awful lot um, in, in, in educating these people and letting them know what's what's actually happening out there. I think one of the issues is with that, I think men don't always open up and don't always say what's happened in, in their lives. And when they do begin to open up, maybe they, they open up to deaf ears. So maybe we need to get men speaking more, maybe we need to listen more. And then when people in our position hear these things we need to make sure that the people in who actually can make a difference listen to um it is a it is a problem i mean men do have an issue talking and i would say i was guilty of that myself you know it's not something i like opening up about when i when i when i go out with friends male friends i don't particularly talk about how i feel i talk about what work we've done this week or maybe what's been on the tv or what we're doing this weekend i don't ever talk about how i'm feeling i just 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 not something that that uh, that's happened so obviously if men have been something that's as tragic as what that is at such a young age which can affect them for the rest of their life and i think there's an awful lot i don't know and sorry i'm speaking uneducated here but i do believe somebody's People do think there's a shame in it, as though there was, some of it was their fault. Then they're embarrassed to open up about it, and it just compounds compounds the issues. Where I do believe women um, do talk um, more openly, and these um, the, these these things that have happened in their life do come to the do come to the forefront more quickly. So I think that's probably one of the one of the issues that we've got. But, I mean, it is, it, if you ask, if you ask, I, I say this a few times on a few places, if you ask a man if he's okay, he'll say, yeah, I'm fine. And then if you ask him if he's really okay, then he'll stumble, stumble a little bit and they'll think, they'll think you're being a little bit odd asking him that question. He'll be like, why are you asking me that? No one's ever asked me that before. And you'll get an awkward silence. And I think it's maybe something that we should try with each other, um, just, to, just to prove a point. You know I mean, are you really okay? No, are you really okay? And um, it's just not something that we're accustomed to doing and it's going to take a long, you're not going to fix this overnight, it's going to take years and years and years to do but um, the more we talk about it openly and the more people listen and the more people think, well yeah, it is okay to say this, I mean we don't want you've got to take people in confidence, it doesn't have to be a, everywhere we go we talk about it but just you should. I think everyone should have someone that they can speak to in confidence. Really, I mean, at school you had best friends, did it? you? and I think, I think some maybe maybe um, women still have best friends that they confide in, and, and maybe men don't as don't as such as much. Should I say Not as? So, but I'm only speaking from my own personal experience. There, I mean, we'll we'll be taking information evidence sessions on that, but I just I'm just speaking from my own. Um, from my own experience as a as nearly 50-year-old man.
1: <laughs> well, given you're, you're talking about how hard it is to be candid, I suppose that, that leads us to the, the next question, really, which MPs m- m- must be much more conscious of risk than ever, given the threats that MPs are exposed to. Have you ever felt frightened doing the work? And if so, how do you cope with this?
0: No, I'm not... Um, I mean, no, I've not felt, I've not felt frightened, not, not really. Have
1: you really? (laughs) (laughs) No,
0: I haven't. Um, No, no, that's very funny. Uh, No, no, I haven't. I mean, uh, when Sir David Amis um, was um, was attacked, was stabbed, it was. um, I was actually sat at this desk when I heard the news, and it was the most horrendous news. It was. It was a lovely man. he actually invited me into his office, and I think he was doing it with quite a few of the the, the new MPs that had come in. Come and see me. Come and see me. And so I did actually manage to have an hour with him, in his office. his office was a was a um, well, it was it was something to see. There was memorabilia and books and all kinds of things everywhere. And uh, I sat down. and had an hour with him, and all MPs are busy, but it was it was such a a lovely fella, and he he helped me an awful lot. He, he gave me some really, really good advice. And I was meant to be going out with him the week after it happened. I was meant to be going on a day trip with another APPG. And so I was really looking forward to going and spending a day with him because I knew I would I, knew I would have got to know him a little bit better. And he's a senior MP, been there for 20, 30 years, whatever he'd done. So um, you, you do feel a little bit... Um, you do feel a little bit vulnerable when something like that happens. But um it never stops a David doing his job. I mean, obviously events like that had happened before and he just went he just went out and, and did his job. And I think if we if we don't go out and do our job, then these people have won. They they've they've won because they're stopping my constituents see me, they're stopping democracy happening, they're stopping all kinds of things. So I think it's important, but I'm not. I'm a local MP. I know Doncaster. Um, I know the people of Doncaster, and I. Um, I've never felt. Um, I've, I've never felt not safe in Don in Doncaster, but um, it it is awful when you hear things like that. And it, they always say it always happens to the nicest people. And I wish everyone could have met Sir David, because he was um, he was a true gentleman.
1: It's awful for people to be killed um, going about doing some business that's actually in the benefit mm. of of others. That um, seems particularly unfortunate, doesn't it? Yes. A few of our guests have spoken about the importance of compassionate leadership to ensure a culture of compassion trickles down. Mm. All have emphasised that compassionate leadership involves taking responsibility, so it's not just about saying nice things to one another, but... But the compassion is part of that. Is there much of a culture of compassion in the House of Commons?
0: It can come across quite hard, uh, especially in the chamber. Um, the chamber is a bit of a uh, an anomaly to um, have. Well, the how the place runs, but yeah, I mean it's. Um, I mean we're busy people, so comp- we, on a day-to-day basis. Um, you you probably don't probably don't see the the chambers a funny place because it can go from um, it, it can be a really um, people can get really quite angry in their at uh, one minute and then a second later the the chamber can fall silent when it when a, an MP talks of a constituent that's that's really struggling or had a hard time so um, I think there is there is compassion there definitely there is um and i i work with an awful lot of good people and i just I, we're all, a lot of the time we're painted we're not we're not painted as we are and we make silly mistakes and um we we, we do things that are not always always right but the majority in fact I would, the majority of people there are wanting to do or go into it to to make um, make the country a better place and part of that is is understanding the problems that people are going through um, really understanding them and seeing how genuinely we can we can help um, help help things get things get better I am a big believer in personal responsibility I mean I don't this, this blaming the government for everything and maybe blaming the police for everything or blaming the teachers for everything and blaming i i'm not i don't do the blame coach particularly i don't i don't we've got to take personal responsibility but if there is things that are stopping people progress and things that are in the way then we should do what we can to um to to do that but um i mean i try and people are going to be going through there's people going through hard times there is and i think it's important as mps that we under we understand that and we do we do show compassion and it's genuine compassion i mean it, and, it, and i do but i mean i have to hear some real awful stories when i do surgeries and some of them are really quite hard quite hard to swallow but uh, i just we, this is what we have to. This is what we have to deal with, and there's there's a certain amount of tough love, and there's a certain amount of yeah. I really I really do need to help you because you can't help yourself in this situation, and I think trying walking that line can be very difficult sometimes because I think you can get it wrong. I think you can see somebody and think, no, you just you know what I mean. We just need to be a little bit tougher with you to get you where you need to be, and you can make you can get a wrong call, and then if you do it can have consequences so you've got to be careful with it um, I hope that explains it enough it's a bit it's a bit of a difficult question really
1: no I, I get that And I suppose as you were talking I was thinking about comparisons with psychiatric hospitals or prisons mm-hmm. and this idea that, you know as you said most MPs become MPs because they actually want to do something good for society mm-hmm. and most nurses become nurses because they have a wish to care um i'd say that's also true for a lot of prison officers and yet within we've seen kind of like awful scandals where actually Mm. patients have been treated quite punitively or see prisoners being treated in quite a brutal way so it's not necessarily why people join those services but they end up behaving in that way and i think what what we can see over time is that actually if you want an organization to be compassionate there has to be some focus on ensuring that that is developed within the organization mm. and so that that's what made me wonder you know could more be done to make um to make parliament more compassionate because ultimately i guess that will be reflected in the policies that come out of a government mm. and in terms of how compassionate those policies are if mps don't feel they're working with a, a mm. compassionate ethos if you like yeah
0: there's lots of subjects where we could as i say i've got colleagues on the other side of the house and um they they can look at a policy one way and i can look at it another and i believe i do truly believe that i'm doing the right thing and they can truly believe that i'm doing the wrong thing and i can argue with it and i still think there's compassion in my in my argument but um it's a fine line, as I said, and we don't always get it right, but um, I, do, I, do, I do try, and that's, that's pretty much all I can say. I can't really expand any more on that. I mean, there is so many different areas that we have to cover, and, and I think your life skills, where you've been through them yourself... I mean, I, was, I always say I was made redundant, and I've employed people all my life, and I've only had to make two people redundant in, in 30 years but I remembered being made redundant myself and I remember it being the worst thing in the world. It, I mean, it was the money, but it was the fact that I was leaving 50 colleagues behind who had become my life and I having such a I, had a, I was only a very young man when I was made redundant, but having such a great time at work. Um, and I think it's them sort of experiences that help you. When you, I mean, I've lost, I've lost a parent, I've lost a, I've lost a brother, lost all these different people and it's them sort of life experiences that that help you um deal with people and you can't buy that and in all fairness i wish i didn't have some of them experiences they're just some of them are, are truly truly awful experiences but when you have when you have had to deal with them and you know what it looks like then it does help you help other people and and i think yeah i've um I've had quite a varied life, so hopefully that's um, hopefully that'll help me help my constituents and uh, that's all you can ask, isn't it really
1: Well well it is, and I think that's a great example of why it's so important for people to have had jobs where they are interacting in you know in the real world um mm. outside of parliament in order to understand the impact of decisions. But finally, we always like to ask our guests how they manage to hold on to their own sense of well-being and compassion when seeing parts of society where people are really quite distressed. And, you know, you can hear your compassion and um, wish to do good in in performing your role. But you also referred earlier to also hearing some really tragic stories in surgery. So how do you ensure you stay compassionate? What kind of things do you do to look after yourself?
0: Um I'm a Christian. I've got a really strong faith. Um it it helps me every day. I've not always been a Christian. I became a Christian in my late 30s. Um so I believe uh, yeah, I think that's that's definitely uh, the bedrock. That's what I um that's what that's what I believe in and um yeah, I'm, ve- I'm very fortunate that I've got that I've got that faith and it is a, it's a. It's It's an extremely strong faith I would say I've gone through an awful lot of things and some good, some bad some indifferent but um, the constant has been has been my faith and uh, I'm very I'm very very thankful very very thankful for that and um, I've got a fantastic wife as well she's amazing, bless her so uh, that helps too
2: I've got a I've got a final question, Nick, Because uh, just listening to you. And and I picked up, you mentioned Doncaster several times. I've only been to Doncaster once in my life and it was at the, probably January or February, 2020. So just before everything uh, closed down and I, I, I was going to visit an approved premises. And um, I've got a very clear memory of it because I got off the train at the station walked down the high street and I'm not someone who takes a great deal of care of his hair so I went into the first barbers that there was on the high, high street and there were two young men there I don't know where they were from certainly wasn't Doncaster um, and uh, so they gave me a very decent haircut and charged me five pounds well I almost fell off the stall because I don't know what you pay in Westminster I bet it's more than the five. so I did I felt guilty about it I gave them a very healthy tip Um, but obviously that was saying something very powerful about the difference between a place like Doncaster and a place where you're now spending half your life and doing a lot Mm -hmm. of your work Westminster what hopes do you have as one of the new Tory MPs of bringing things up from that so that's a bit of a cheeky question i appreciate we didn't want no you. no no it's a fantastic
0: question uh, i mean an mp really i mean the appgs are um are, are extremely important my my single job really is to make uh, doncaster a um a, be- a better place for everyone for everyone to live and uh, for the opportunities to be there for the, the the young people there's an awful lot um, there's, an awful, there's a brain drain from Doncaster there's an awful lot of clever people that um, they go to some quite good schools in Doncaster we've got some good schools and they but as soon as they leave school it's university and then it's uh, the the um, the Golden Triangle or Southeast or and, and we and we don't and we don't particularly see them again so we need something that's going to keep people here. Uh, and attract and attract um, people here so I've lobbied continually for a new hospital because I think desperately we need one and it will be a teaching hospital and we've got a site ready for that and I think a a a new a, a new hospital in the town centre would do wonders for the town centre to get people there I'm lobbying for the Great British Rail Headquarters which is another um be another huge achievement for Doncaster I think a lot of town centres have lost I've lost a lot because there's no reason for people to go anymore. We used to go and book holidays there, we used to go to the bank, we used to go to the opticians, we used to lots of different things. We've got no reason to go anymore. Well, if you put a hospital in the middle of Doncaster, which is the site for it, and you, and you had Great British Rail Headquarters there, then all of a sudden you've got a reason for people to be in the middle of Doncaster, which is, which is really good. And then over in Don Valley, um, we've got the airport and we we're hoping for an advanced manufacturing research centre there what's similar to the one that they have in Sheffield and if we manage to get that there then we could end up with the likes of Boeing in Doncaster which would obviously bring some quality real quality jobs to, to Doncaster which would be great and I mean we've got lots, so many other things as well I mean we've got the it's the oldest flat race course in the world we've got the Yorkshire Wildlife Park which is absolutely amazing I go there quite often it's a really great place and I mean I spent a lot of time touring the UK like many people have done through Covid we've not been able to go abroad and I'm not, I mean I think I think this country is an amazing anybody who knocks this country I mean it's a, it's the best country I mean it really is I love England, I love Scotland I love the UK as a whole and I do like Doncaster I love Doncaster to bit. but I've been all the way around it and. I think Doncaster punches well above its weight. I think Doncaster's a great place, and if you can get a haircut for five pound, well, then it's worth that anyway, isn't it? So, uh, so there you go. But um, no, no, I mean it's it, it is a. I didn't want to. I, could, I didn't want to be a member of Parliament anywhere else. And there's nowhere else. If if they offered me a safest seat, there is with a twenty thousand majority. I wouldn't take it. This is. I'm not going now nowhere. If I win this one again, then I'll keep on doing. It. If I lose, then. I'm
2: not going anywhere else. This is it. Brilliant. So I'll come back Thank to Nash <laughs> It may happen.
1: Love to see Thank you.
2: Me. I think you've been uh, you've come across a very honest and compassionate person, Nick. Thanks very much.
1: Thank you, that's great.